Well, Happy New Year to you. And let me ask, how many of you would like to take the year 2010 and just tr drop, drop kick that thing right into 2000, the past, you know? It's like we get another chance to get this thing right. You know, as uh, Pastor Meredith, which is Latin for the old guy, I have to admit, the old guy has a father's heart towards his church. And to be able to come back and to be able to serve. And, and there's really two different ways I, I get to serve, especially this, this coming year. One is uh, President's class will be starting up again January 17th. That, that's a class we do here on Monday nights. It's free, although we do hit you up for an offering for the seminary, but basically it's free. But we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. It's like the, the core of everything Jesus taught you have in the Sermon on the Mount. I always maintain we only had three chapters in the entire Bible. That would just suffice us. It would take a lifetime to be able to fulfill all the things we learned from the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Plus, there's none of the stuff we fight over in that particular sermon. Anyhow, the first seven weeks in the fall of President's class right here, we did chapter 5. Lord willing, we'll be doing uh, chapter 6 and 7 and finishing the Sermon on the Mount right here, 6.30, starting January 17th. We have about 500 folks show up. It's just a great, great time and want to invite you to, to, to join us. And if you are, start reading chapter 6 and getting ready for the study. The other thing is I get to speak this morning. And, and, and you know what's marvelous being about the uh, Pastor Emeritus is you don't have my email. So, so I can, and you know, you can't hurt a dead man. I mean, you can't fire me. <laughs> you can't fire slaves, you know, as far as that goes. So I, I, I'm free to speak to you as a father would his own children. And, and what I want to share with you today, if you can get a handle on this, it will change your entire year. I might, Don Ryle, change your entire life. It will give an explanation why last year for many of you was so miserable and it doesn't have to be that way. We are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. We talk about spiritual maturity, growing in Christ. What in the world are we talking about? We're talking about one thing, becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not becoming disciples of the Holy Spirit. We're not becoming disciples of God the Father. We're becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. The reason is because of the great gift God gave us in Jesus Christ. I mean, we're sinners. We're pretty well indifferent to, to who God was, anything God had to say. In our pride and our arrogance, we basically lived as if there was no God and if God had nothing to say at all. This was this arrogance, this pride that separated us from our Creator. And yet God so loved the world. He made a provision for our forgiveness. He gave His own Son to die on the cross and, and die in our place and receive the consequences, the judgment of God for our arrogance, our sinfulness. And when we finally owned up to it and admitted to God we're sinners and we need forgiveness, not only did God forgive us, but in the most mysterious way, He placed His Spirit within us and gave us new hearts. That means He gave us deep desires we never had before. And the deepest of those desires is now to begin to honor God as a heavenly father. Not a creature trying to appease or to be indifferent to a creator, but literally a child like, like God said in 2 Corinthians 6, I'll be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters. In John 1, 12, he says, But as many as believe in Jesus Christ, to them God gave the authority to become children of God. So not only have you been brought into the family of God as his child, but God has placed a spirit within you, giving you the deepest heart desire to honor God as your heavenly father. Here's our problem. We don't have a clue how to do that. 
So we come up with religion and disciplines and all kinds of righteous deeds that we try to do to try to please God because we have that desire. But honestly, we don't have a clue how. But there is one who does. Matter of fact, during the time he was on this earth, twice from heaven, he heard directly from the Father, once at his baptism, and once about a year later, when he heard the Father from heaven say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus knows how to do this. The Son of God knows how to please the Father, how to honor the Father. That's why we're becoming more like Christ. God blesses the greatest likeness to His Son because His Son knows how to honor the Father. And the more that I begin to think like, live like, respond like Jesus Christ, more I'm going to fulfill the very deep desires of my heart and that is to honor God as my Father. This is why we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Now the word disciples used 265 times in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. It's like all over the place. But as we've studied in the past, Jesus doesn't seem to make a lot of reference to becoming his disciples. Of those 265 times, Jesus only mentions it seven. Only seven times does Jesus talk about becoming his disciple. And every one of those seven is conditional. In other words, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you will. If you want and desire to be my disciple, you will do something. Now, now one of these, you will do somethings, is what I want to talk to you today about because it's the something we don't do that makes our years so miserable because we're in bondage to all the wrong things. What he's talking about is if you want to be my disciple, you will understand this concept of stewardship. That is what to do with your stuff. How to possess your possessions. In other words, people in this life, basically, they live by make all you can, save all you can, then sit on the can. I mean, I've got to preserve. My stuff is to protect me. It's my security. This year, 2010, 2009, 2008, horrible because my stuff's leaking away. My stuff's being taken away from me. And therefore, we are just going crazy about this. I do know this is a sensitive topic because we're talking about money. And, you know, I know the big criticism of churches. Big criticism of churches, what? All they want is your your money. Take note, the offering has already been taken and there is no plan for a second. So relax, take a breath, and lighten up a little bit. U.S. News and World Report, the uh, editor-in-chief, uh, Mortimer Zuckerman, wrote this editorial entitled, this month, by the way, December 20th, this month, uh, Watching America's Decline and Fall. Interesting, this is this gentleman's perspective on why America is declining and why he feels it's going to fall. He writes, The modern world has for centuries been dominated economically, intellectually, and physically by the civilization that arose in Western Europe in the wake of the Renaissance and the Reformation and spread across the Atlantic to America. Will that one day be seen as a passing phenomenon, doomed to ascend ever upward and then slowly fizzle out like a firework. Will we as a nation go with like all the other ancient nations? He, he quotes this German mathematician and philosopher Oswald Spangler, published his 1918 classic, The Decline of the West. This is back in 1918. 
And he quotes him as saying this, quote, among Spangler's convictions was that money, money instead of serving mankind, would betray the Western civilization as it had others. That money, instead of serving mankind, would be the very reason for the demise of this nation. This culture talks about that money is the corruption of the American democracy today. Well, that's an interesting thought. It's been said that we all should live by the golden rule. Well, I've just learned all that means is those who've got all the gold gets to make all the rules. Now, you may be thinking right now, you know, Darrell, I'm not really comfortable you talking about my money, not publicly like this. Yeah, I, I respect that. So let's not talk about your money. Matter of fact, it's Moses in Deuteronomy 8.18 that reminds us, who is it that gives us the health to be able to even make wealth? Who is it that gives us the power to be able to generate possessions? Moses reminds us it's God. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 14, David is the one who reminds us all our stuff, our possessions, our money, our wealth, all comes from the hand of God. So actually, I'm not talking about your money. We're talking about His. Did you know that of the 38 parables Jesus gave, 16, 16 of them had to do with money. Did you know that more is said in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined? A sacred subject like prayer. It's all over the New Testament. 500 verses on prayer, how important prayer is. 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Jesus speaks about it. The Word of God talks about it four times as often as prayer. Apparently, Jesus wants to talk about this. If we're going to become disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to talk about this. So open your Bibles, if we will, to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to land on verses 33 to the end of the chapter. But here's the context. Jesus is talking about these conditional statements. If you want to be my disciple, you will. If you want to be my disciple, you will. And he talks about if you're going to build a tower, you better check it out and plan and make sure you know what you're doing before you pursue this because you get half done, you'll be ridiculed. He talks about a king. You've got 10,000 guys in your army and you're being invaded by an army of 20,000. You better think this through before you go ahead and declare war. He says now, verse 33, in that context, so, therefore. In other words, be thinking about this. Therefore, no one of you can be my disciple. No one of us can be his disciple who does not give up all his possessions, his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, listen, listen to what I want you to understand about this issue of your stuff, this issue of possessions. Now, is Jesus saying here that, that uh, to be his disciples, we need to be poor, sell off everything that we have, throw all our financial dreams to the wind and all go on food stamps? Is that what he's talking about here? And by the way, you know Jesus doesn't say that if you want to be my disciple, then you will be willing to give up your possessions. He doesn't say if you're willing, 
He says, give them up. Give up your possessions. Now, there's no wiggle room here at all. So what is this that I'm giving up if I'm going to give up my possessions? You know, we hear that money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6 makes it very clear. It's the love of money, the craving for money, the possessing of money that indeed creates all kinds of suffering and misery and pain. You see, possessions do not seem to be the problem here because throughout the scripture, God blesses godly people with possessions. He did so with Job after that horrible season in his life. He did so with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Lazarus. Go on with the list. God has given us this creation to enjoy. Paul even warns us about those who would tell us otherwise. He's writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, you know in the last days, there's going to be this, this demonic teaching of men who forbid marriage and, and forbid eating certain foods and not understanding everything's been created by God. And if it's received with gratitude and from the truth of God, it's to be enjoyed. Later in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, God has given possessions. God has given wealth to be enjoyed. So the point here is not shame on you for having it. The issue is how are you going to enjoy it? Do you have to possess a rainbow to enjoy a rainbow? Do you have to somehow own the sunset to be able to enjoy the sunset? Do you have to make payments on the Grand Canyon because you've got the mortgage on it for you to enjoy it? See, to possess something does not mean to enjoy something. And to enjoy something, you need not have to possess it. And thus you enjoy the rainbow and no, you do not possess it. You enjoy the sunset, but you do not possess it. You enjoy the Grand Canyon, but you do not possess it. We learned about as God gives possessions and, and gifts, He does it so that it's never enjoyed as a solo deal. Have you ever had to, have you ever got the opportunity to golf alone? I said had to because sometimes people don't show up when I invite them. <laughs> but anyway, you know, uh, have you ever been and golfed alone? And at first, it's really a kick. You feel like you're in a beer commercial. You're just sitting there hitting the ball, and you know it's not right. You hit another one. You, know, you can do whatever you want, right? It's your universe. You're by yourself. You're, what is the one fear you have golfing by yourself? What is the one thing that petrifies you? That's right, that you hit a hole in one because you know nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to believe you. The fact same is seeing a sunset or seeing the Grand Canyon or rainbow by yourself. It is something empty because we are created to enjoy together. Enjoyment is sharing that which is enjoyed. It's not being by yourself. Again, it isn't shame on you for having it. It's but do you know how to enjoy it? God has given possessions to enjoy, not for us to be in bondage to them. Our problem is we are being possessed by our possessions. And Jesus says, give up your possessing. Give up your own possessions. Because they're not your own possessions. Give up possessing of them. And you say, I, 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 I don't struggle with that. I don't possess my possessions. Oh, let me give you a little test. How fearful are you at losing them? 
been a horrible year. You lost your house. Or you had to short sale it. Or you went bankrupt. And you didn't have a job. You're between jobs. And all of a sudden you have a hard time paying your bills. And it's all money, money, money. And you are miserable. Question, how fearful of you of losing your stuff? Are you losing sleep over it? Now you're going to tell me you're not in bondage to it. You are possessed by your possessions. Because you've never given up the possessing of them. That's what Jesus is talking about right here. Jesus is saying, give up possessing your possessions. They were never yours in the first place to own, to possess. But rather they've been given to you much like the rainbow and a sunset and the Grand Canyon. They've been given to you to enjoy. So well, then how, how do I do that? Well, Paul gives us a little clue in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul makes this statement in chapter 6 and verse 17. Instruct those of you who are rich that they are scum-sucking pigs and deserve hell. <laughs> no, no, I, I misread that. Let me read that again. <laughs> Woke up a few of you on that one. No, here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Why why the warning here with those who have discretionary funds, possessions, stuff? Why the warning of conceit? Conceit is to believe you're a God, to demand to be treated as a God. And the perks of being a God is that you get to be treated with respect and your will gets to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we get angry. We get angry because we don't like the way we're being treated. Or we don't like the fact that things aren't going our way. Let's own up and tell the truth. Because we want to be treated as a God. But what can money buy you? Money can buy, you got enough money, you can buy respect. You got enough money and you can buy your will done. And that's why he says the greatest danger with those who have wealth is the danger of conceit. Because you can buy your own divinity. He says, now nah, it's going to end up empty. There's the pain, the love of money that will destroy you and you'll be possessed by your possessions. Rather, he says this, but on God, watch this, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Not possess, but to enjoy. But Paul, how do you enjoy? Well, notice he says, instruct them. So I'm doing this. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So you want to enjoy the abundant life, the life Jesus Christ designed for you to enjoy. They get a handle on this concept of not being possessed by your possessions, but realize you've been given so that you can share, that you can be generous And let others share in with you. You know, a wise father of the faith, A.W. Tozer, once wrote this, and I quote, I have said that Abraham possessed nothing. Yet was not this poor man rich? Everything he had owned before was his still to enjoy. Sheep, camels, herds, goods of every sort. He had also his wife and his friends. He had everything, but he possessed nothing. There is the spiritual secret. There is the sweet theology of the heart which can be learned only in the school of renunciation. The books of systematic theology overlook this, but the wise, 
the wise will understand. So what's the purpose of having stuff? Possessions, wealth, money, discretionary funds of any sort. He says the purpose is so you can enjoy. The key to enjoy has something to do with outside myself, investing in others, sharing with others, being generous with others. You know, it's the Apostle Paul who picks this up in 2 Corinthians 9. And Paul says, let me explain it so that you don't miss it. So listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In the context of money, the Apostle Paul says this. Start with verse 8. He says, and God is able to make all grace... Talking about this season of living out grace, this is part of it. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency and everything, you may have an abundance. Now usually, they stop right there. God of grace is going to give you an abundance. It's Disneyland. Go after it. Let's finish the verse. And God is able to make grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for, here's the purpose clause, for every good deed. It says in verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for the sowing, watch this, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Righteousness means living a life that's in a right relationship with God as your father. Living a life that honors your father. That's righteousness. He says, now, if I can get an understanding of the stewardship, this will increase the harvest of my righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, generosity, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, he explains, listen to what he says. Let me make sure you understand this. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service, this is a ministry that God has given his disciples, the disciples of his son, this ministry is not only fulfilling, supplying the needs of the saints. This is just not how to get people fed and how to take care of needs of people. Oh, no. It's deeper than this. But it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience. The point is not just meeting people's needs and making people happy with money. The point is producing praise and worship and thanksgiving from their lips because they were blessed by God and they were blessed by God because God would flow the seed to bless them through you, through His Son's disciples. This is the blessing that He's talking about right here. You see, the issue here is seed and bread. All that I have, my possessions, my stuff, some of it, He says, is bread for food. Some of it is given to me by the hand of God for my family to protect them, to be able to enjoy. I mean, because we don't have time, but remember in our studies in Ecclesiastes, the wisdom of Solomon, in his own personal journal, he says at the end of chapter 5, you know, for the man who's acknowledged that all that he has has been given to him by the hand of God, if he simply acknowledges all that he has has been given to him from the hand of God, remember it says God, remember the word shalat? God shalats him. God empowers him to enjoy. The word literally means God gives you the capacity to extract enjoyment from that which you've been given. It's the whole essence of contentment. That's why contentment is learned according to Paul. And contentment is when I need no more. I need no more because I am extracting such enjoyment from what I have. I need no more. 
And so he says, some what you have, God's given you as bread for food. Acknowledges them, given you by the hand of God. And as you acknowledge with gratefulness, God actually shallots you. God empowers you to extract enjoyment from what it is you do have. But notice he also mentions seed. Bread for food, seed for sowing. And look at verse 10 again. Which one does he promise to multiply? It says, and I will supply and multiply your... I know second service, but anybody awake? <laughs> your seed for sowing. That's why Jesus said in Acts 20, verse 35, he really said it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I always thought that was the dumbest verse in the Bible. I think it's more fun to receive than to give. But as I've grown, I've seen Jesus is absolutely right. It is more blessed. The experience of life and the enjoyment of extracting enjoyment from life is in the giving, not of the receiving. See, God created people to be loved, things to be used. So He gives us things so we can love people, but we have it all backwards and we tend to what? We love the things and we use the people. And I wonder why 2010 was such a miserable year, as was 2009, 2008, and goes back far as you want. So we got this backwards. That's why Jesus knows it. He says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there's where your heart is. You want to find out what's important to you? What really is the core of your life? Then look at your checkbook or look at your quick check on your computer, whatever it is. Do you have a budget so that you even know what part of what you have is bread that God has given you as a blessing to you and your family? To acknowledge that blessing as a gift and then enjoy it. And watch God increase the enjoyment until you have total contentment. But then you have this spiritual portfolio. You have this spiritual seed. Some of us need a little spiritual draino here. Because there's this spiritual portfolio. There's this potential of seed that God wants to flow through you, through the disciples of His Son, so that other people's needs are met and they give praise and worship and thanksgiving to God and the very matter of the resources I have can produce worship to God from the lips of others. And there is no greater use, no greater use for funds, stuff, money, wealth, and that. That's why the greatest object of your, your giving should be here at Scottsdale Bible Church. I mean, if you really do believe that needs are met, ministries touch people's lives, and in return these people give praise and worship, thanksgiving to God, then of course in your spiritual portfolio, you better be giving. This church should never struggle with finances. This should be your first priority, second only to Phoenix Seminary. <laughs> nah, I'm sorry. Scratch that. Just kind of scratch it. A little bit scratch it. The point is, are we becoming disciples of Jesus Christ? This is maturity. If you want to be my disciple, you will give up your own possessions. Give up your own possessions. Give up possessing. And realizing you don't have to possess a rainbow to enjoy it. You don't have to possess a sunset to enjoy it. You don't have to possess the Grand Canyon to enjoy it. Therefore, you possess nothing. And enjoy your wealth. And realize some of what God has given you is bread for food. Acknowledge it from the hand of God and watch Him empower you to extract enjoyment from all that He has given you. But some of it is seed for sowing. 
and in a spiritual portfolio, invest wisely and carefully. Not throwing God's money away, but investing into those lives, those ministries that in turn give praise and thanksgiving and worship to God himself. Probably my favorite story of all time, and I've shared it with some of you, but I don't care. I'm going to share it again. There's this priest, and he speaks of going to bed one night and being awakened out of a dream, but it was still a dream. And at the foot of his bed were two men, kind of ruddy-looking guys, muscular, tan. And, and for some reason, he recognized that one was Moses and the other one was Peter. Moses spoke first and waved all three of them through the wall, through the ceiling, through the galaxies, past the stars, into multiple universes until finally they showed up and it looked like an old, run-down castle. Dreary, cold. He could even hear echoes of, of mourning and weeping and screaming. The priest was frightened, but Moses had him go through this big door, down a cold, dark hallway, to another large door. The door was opening to a huge room with a large round table in the center with all these people sitting around the table. In the center of the table was a pot of Irish stew, the priest's favorite. And all the people sitting around the table had these long, long spoons permanently attached to their hand, long enough to be able to reach and scoop up the stew, but far too long to bring to their own lips. And so as they cast the stew to the side, they would curse in bitterness, anger, pain, Finally, putting his hands to his ears, the priest thought, take me away from this place. What is this place? And Moses says, you have just observed hell. Then Peter spoke and waved them on through the galaxies, the stars, until they came to somewhat of a, another castle. But this one was translucent. It was full of music and joy and praise. And it was... As he walked through a similar huge door down a hallway, it had the colors of all the rainbow. And it led to another door that opened up to a large room with a big round table in the center with all these people sitting around the table with a pot of the Irish stew in the center of the table. And like the first in hell, they all had permanently attached long spoons to their hands so that they could reach the stew, but they could not bring it to their own lips but instead of cursing and instead of anger and pain, and there was only gratefulness and singing and satisfaction because they were all, they were all what? They're all serving each other. They're all serving each other. You see, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, maturing in your faith, is getting a handle on understanding. You're a steward. Steward was a slave. He never possessed anything at all, was possessed by the master, the Lord. But he was trusted to distribute for the Lord according to that which would honor the Lord all the stuff, the possessions of the master. Until he would hear, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased, faithful. You've been faithful to what I've given you. That's why I've increased. Now, this year doesn't have to be a bad year. You don't have to go into it in bondage, possessed by your possessions. I want to give you an exercise <clears throat> for your homework. I want you to take a $20 bill 
you're under 10, a $1 bill. Okay, for you, $1. For us old people, $20. And, and, and what I want you to do, I know most of you aren't going to do it, but that's because I'm old and cynical. But I'm going to hope, what is your name? Debbie, come here. Debbie, this is my $20 bill. It's mine. It's mine. You have to pull harder than that. <laughs> now, Debbie, do you admit that that's not your money? You have your money, you have bread, you're enjoying that seed. It's not yours. I want you to fold it up, and I want you to put it in your purse somewhere. Just fold it up, put it in your purse somewhere. I want you to do the same thing. This thing's going to end up costing me 80 bucks. I want you to give $20 to someone else. Now, you can do it this way. You can say, you give me 20 and I'll give you 20. All right? Some of you are still maturing slowly. That's okay. All right, 20. You know, if you want to give me 20, it's fine. No, no, no. 20, 20. But the point is, I want a $20 bill in your purse, in your wallet, you know is not yours. It is seed by definition. You didn't earn it. It doesn't belong to you. It's seed. I want you to fold it up and put it in your purse, your wallet. This week, I want you to give it away to someone. This week, I want you just to ask the Lord, be looking around until you see a real need that you know that $20 could just bless some dear woman who's, who's, who's sweeping the curb at the mall because that's her job or somebody who just has been hitting some hard times and just would love to have a lunch. I want you to take that and I want you to invest it as a ministry of righteousness, as a disciple of Christ. Say, what if somebody gets angry at me? I'm just letting you think about the stupidity of that question. <laughs> no one's going to get angry at you. And when you give it to them, you say, you know, this has been given to me. And I believe God has given this to me because it really belongs to you because God wants to bless you and walk away just walk away and let the Lord produce praise and thanksgiving in the heart of that person why would I want you to do this just to get you started on a whole new year that we begin to celebrate the great gift that God has given us and the greatest gift we're going to remember right now the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of forgiveness. This is why he told us to remember him. And the Apostle Paul said, how can we celebrate and remember this wonderful gift of our forgiveness, of no longer being a creature, but becoming a child of God, a son and a daughter of a heavenly father? If there's rebellion in our hearts, and so Paul called us for a time of confession, a quiet time of confession between you and God. And so let's prepare ourselves to express and remember, remember this gift by confessing anything in our life that we know dishonors our Father and thus displeases our Lord Jesus. Just confess it. Let's take the time to do that. And those serving us communion, would you come at this time?